CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday and it's time for Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee, live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Here's what's coming up. Carter Worth completes his offensive defensive trifecta with one of the lowest beta, longest established healthcare names that can be found. Then, Tony Zhang takes an opposite, but still complimentary tack on a staple name that might be about to lose its defensive fizz. Finally, earnings season never really ends. There are still stragglers to set up around. Mike Code takes on Micron ahead of next week's results. It's time to risk less to make more. Options action starts right now. Let's get right to it. Despite the S&P's second weekly win in a row, there's still a ton of uncertainty out there for the average investor. So Carter Worth is completing his offensive defensive theme of the month with possibly the healthiest of healthcare names. Carter, what are you looking at tonight? That's right. So this would be a follow-on from Lilly, uh, pharmaceutical, and a follow-on from United Healthcare. We're going to look at Johnson and Johnson. So let's get right to the charts. The first one is an all data. So what we know is. The leader there on the top, you're looking at orange versus blue, you're looking at Johnson & Johnson versus the S&P, all dated back to 1977. And Johnson Johnson has tripled the S&P 500, right? A Dow Jones constituent, it's currently the 11th largest in the S&P. Now, flip it around, look at the past 10 years. Over the past 10 years, second chart, what we see, of course, is that the S&P has doubled J&J. So you have a long-term winner, right? Something that's crushed the S&P, 3X. And yet over the past 10 years, it's trailing by 50%. That's a nice setup if the chart looks good, and it does. So the here and now chart first, this is the past decade. This is a mathematically perfect 45 degree angle. That's your 09 low, and we're just in the middle of the channel. I think we're gonna approach the top of the channel. And then finally, the here and now chart. And so what do we see? A stock that is toying with the prospects of breaking out above a former high. That high was back in August at 180. The stock's right now at 177. And I think it's going to break out. Let's play it. All right, Mike, let's do it. What's the trade? So Johnson & Johnson, I mean, as uh, Carter was just pointing out, first of all, this is a very low beta name. So if we find ourselves in a market condition where we're a little bit concerned about potential pullbacks, and I think there are plenty of reasons why people might be concerned in this environment, and we've certainly seen some of those pullbacks, this is a company that is trading not only below a market multiple at about 17 times full year earnings, but below its own average multiple as well. It's defensive, it's low beta. And here's the interesting thing. Typically, you're going to see this very low beta, very stable companies, low growth companies. But about 55% of the revenues of Johnson & Johnson come from pharmaceuticals. And right now, they have a pipeline of drugs that are probably going to collectively represent, and I'm talking about some cancer drugs and some psoriasis and uh, psoriasis arthritis drugs that are coming out that are probably going to represent more than 20% of the company's revenues by full year 2025. And that's going to, as a sector, represent about 70% growth over that period in that area. So there are elements of growth built into Johnson & Johnson 
So I think right now, given the fact that the company is such a low beta name and its options prices are also extremely low as a result of that, in fact, the implied volatility of Johnson & Johnson is less than that of the S&P, I think we can take advantage of that and look out to June. I was looking at the 175-190 call spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, that was just a little over $5. Now, that's about uh, a third of the distance between the strikes, but I would point out that that is also in the money. The stock was just under $177 when I was looking at that, and this is the 175 strike that we're going to own. Why is that important here? Because that's going to lower our upside break even. The upside break, in, if you get this thing around five bucks, is going to be 180. That's, that's a very modest increase from where the stock is currently trading, and you're going to be risking a relatively slow amount, uh, small amount of the current stock price to do that trade. Tony, how do you like the trade? How do you like the stock? Yeah, so if you look at the stock itself, you know, as Carter is showing you that outperformance of Johnson Johnson versus the underperformance we've seen it over the past 10 years, most of that underperformance has actually come from the past four years since 2018. So what we're re really looking for is that potential breakout that Carter's referring to for this potential catch-up trade. Now, the fact that it has broken out above that 175 level, I think is constructive for a potential breakout here, but I really would like to see Johnson Johnson break out above that 180 level to truly confirm uh, what is this long-term underperformance is gonna start catching up. And if you look at the business itself, it does trade at a, a small distance discount to its historical average. And the pipeline that Mike is referring to, while I agree with it, isn't really commercial until the end of 2023. So I'm not sure how relevant that is for this particular trade. So the biggest risk that I see with Johnson & Johnson at this point is you are buying near relative highs and you're hoping that you're able to sell it even higher. So the only way I'm willing to take on that type of risk is to use a trade structure like the one that Mike is laying out, which is a debit spread. And he's and not only is he using a debit spread, he's using an in-the-money debit spread. And the fact that he's able to do so while risking less than 3% of the stock's value really reflects just how strong the risk reward on this specific trade actually is. The stock only has to move about 2% higher before it breaks even, and he's getting about a two to one risk to reward ratio if you do see this breakout here to new all-time highs for Johnson & Johnson. That's really, again, the only way I'm willing to take on risk here at near all-time highs. Carter, Tony identified a 180 level that he'd like to see the stock hold above for a little bit. Um, what, what are your thoughts here? Right, so those are the absolute highs of August. We're slightly below that. And so it's good technique to, if one wants, wait for it to clear all past tops and then be free and clear to run, or, which we're trying to do here, anticipate that it will. And so we're close enough. There's not that much supply there. It's only four or five days of trading. Uh, I think we will take those highs out. All right. Let's uh, stick with the offensive-defensive theme. It is important to remember that some protective plays simply have their limits. Check out shares of consumer staple PepsiCo bouncing back from its recent drop. The soda stock climbing more than 7% in the last two weeks. But Tony says these bubbles could be fizzling out. So, Tony, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, we're continuing to see the staple sector come under pressure. And I think Pepsi is one particular name that I've identified that could see some downside going forward. So if we take a look at some charts, the first chart I want to take a look at here is a chart of the staple sector relative to the S&P 500. Now, this is over the past six years. So it's important to understand that as a sector, this is a sector that has continued to underperform the broader markets for this last six years. But if we look at their second chart here, what we have seen is in recent times a bit of 
outperformance here. The staple sector has actually out, outpaced the S&P 500 by nearly 10% since the December lows. And what we're starting to see here now is that is starting to fizzle out. We're starting to say, see staples break below those trend lines and return back to its long-term underperformance here relative to the market. And if we look at one particular name within the staple sector, Pepsi, you see a very strong trend line off the pandemic lows. And recently, over the past few weeks, we've seen this break below that level. Now, while this performance you're referring to over the past two weeks gets us back to that trend line, we're on the wrong side of this. And this is really where I think Pepsi is headed back down to that roughly 155 level here or so. Now, if you think, if you look at the the options implied volatility here for Pepsi right now, it's quite elevated, and I want to take advantage of that by going out to the May 6 weekly expiration, and I'm selling the 165, 170 call spread. If you own the stock itself, you could outright just sell the calls against the stock that you own, but if you don't own the stock, you can sell a call spread like this to still be able to collect premium and take a bearish position here in Pepsi. So I'm collecting about $4.22 for that May 165 at the money call option, and I'm paying about $2.14 for the May 170 calls. That limits my risk to the upside. And in this particular case, on a $5 wide credit spread, I'm collecting over 40% of the vertical width because of the elevated implied volatility that you currently get in Pepsi. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I like this trade for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, credit spreads are a great way to look to collect premium while limiting your potential risk in case you get the direction of the underlying stock incorrect. And collecting 40% of the distance between the strikes really helps your probability of profit. I mean, here's the way to think about it. Three things can happen. The stock can go higher, it can go sideways, or it can go lower. And in this case, two out of those three are good. So the probability of profit is also quite good. And the risk-reward relationship collecting more than 40% of the distance between the strikes is also good. Important point, if Pepsi is going to break up to, say, 170 or so in the short term, that's not actually going to go to the full value of that vertical spread immediately. So you would even then have an opportunity to pair the sort of risk-reward relationship to an even better ratio than it is right now. Something else, Pepsi is not a high growth name. It's trading about 24 times full year earnings. So it's not particularly cheap for something that doesn't grow very quickly. So I think there's a lot of reasons to like this uh, kind of a trade. And finally, the expiration date that he's chosen. When you're selling options premium, because decay accelerates as expiration approaches, you want to keep it relatively short dated. Take a look at the expiration he's chosen inside of 45 days. I like that too. Carter. Well, you know, to start with the fundamentals first, what Mike just said, I mean, think about this versus J&J. &J. The Ford multiple J&J &J is 16, 17. This one's 25. But they're both low growth, sort of mature growth companies. And then you have the technical setup. J&J is toying with the prospects of breaking out. Pepsi broke trend and is now thrown back to the underside of the trend line, just as depicted by Tony. Uh, I'm a seller, not a buyer. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website and our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Still to come, if a tree falls in a forest, you can still make some green on it. My co harvests an out of season earnings play with a chipper intent. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. Yeah. <laughs>
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. We are gearing up for Micron earnings next week. The semi-stock is down nearly 14% in the last month, but there could be some rip left in this chip. So, Carter, what did the charts tell you? Yeah, this is an interesting setup. Let's go right to the charts. The first, the here and now chart. And so um, a three-month decline, and I've annotated it there, it made a high of 98.50 and dropped to 68.50, 30% January to March. Now, remember that 98.50 number, and let's look at the next chart. This is the all-data chart, and that's what's so fascinating. When it backed off, where was it? It was at its dot-com peak, and this is remarkable. So you're talking about it went just in January of this year to where it was on July 14th of the year 2000, 22 years ago. And a perfect setup is to back away from the high, and then you can reapproach it. So that's an arithmetic chart. Look at the next chart. It's the same thing, but it's logarithmic. One way to draw the lines is call this a massive uh, head and shoulders bottom. Another way to draw the lines, uh, last chart, um, is that it's an ascending wedge of sorts and it's toying with the prospects of breaking out. But then a bit of funny mentals just for fun. So back then, in July of 2000, in the year 2000, the company earned $2.63. Last year, it earned seven twenty. And consensus is that it earns 920 next year. So it's where it was 22 years ago when it earned 260, and it's projected to earn 920 in the next 12 months. Let's play for a breakout. All right, Mike, what's the trade here? Yeah, so this is uh, an interesting one with earnings coming up. First of all, uh, the options market is implying a pretty big move here. Uh, the straddle that expires next week, 9.5% of the current stock price. So. Clearly, the options market expecting something big after they report earnings. What's interesting, though, of course, is that when you have stocks like this that can sometimes you know, behave based on uh, fundamental cyclical behaviors like the prices for DRAM and NAND pricing, which have been remaining relatively stable, that's sort of the underlying theme here. And what is really interesting, you know, Carter pointed out that it was it, it's expected to make you know full year forward numbers of about nine dollars and twenty cents a share. That's less than ten times earnings. You don't find stocks that cheap in this market too often. Now, of course, it's fair to say that sometimes stocks are cheap for a reason. Right now, because the options markets are not really sure why that is, they are not cheap. Uh, and so the situation we're trying to take advantage of here is. The stock looks like it's cheap. We have reason to believe that it could go higher. And by the way, it went more than 15% higher the day after they reported earnings last December. We want to buy some calls to do that, but we've got to find a way to essentially offset those high premiums. So I was looking out to July. The closest I could find at the money call option was the 77 and a half calls. I was looking at those and then looking to sell the April 85 calls against it. Now, you'll notice that the distance between the strike, two things about this. This trade was about six and a half bucks when I was looking at it. When we do diagonals, we typically want to lay out less than the distance between the strikes. That is true here. Something else. I was also factoring in that nearly 10% implied move off of earnings. I wanted to make sure that I was selling a call that was somewhere near that implied move if it should do it to the upside. And so this is a way that you can try to offset that very elevated options premium by selling some of the stuff that's most expensive. 
which is the things that capture that earnings and little else. Tony, your thoughts here. Yeah, this is really one where I like the fundamentals far more than I like the charts. And the only concern that I have from the charts is really the relative performance of Micron to its sector. I think if you look at names like NVIDIA or even Intel, they look a little bit more interesting from that perspective. But the fundamentals look extremely strong here for Micron, trading at about six and a half times next year's earnings. That's a pretty steep discount to not only its historical average, but also its peers. And if you consider the fact that Micron historically hasn't operated on the cutting edge of chip technology, is starting to shift more to that advanced technology, higher margin business, and they've been doing a really good job of returning free cash flow to their customers, uh, to, to investors, I think Micron at six and a half times earnings is a really compelling buy here, uh, especially since it's trading near the bottom end of the range. And if you look at Mike's trade structure, this implied volatility uh, uh, differential that you see in the term structure where he's going out to July buying the options with low implied volatility <clears throat> and selling the April expiration that has very elevated implied volatility, he's able to take advantage of this skew that you're seeing in the term structure. And the only comment that I'll make here to Mike's uh, trade here is that you want to pay less than the uh, the distance between the two strikes. He's paying about six and a half bucks for a seven and a half dollar wide uh, diagonal. I think I would like to use a slightly higher strike price on that April expiration. I would use somewhere around the 77, 78 strike price. You're only collecting about 20 cents less, but you're giving yourself another two bucks here to the upside, especially going to an earnings announcement where you could see some explosive move here to the upside. I like to give myself a little bit more room uh, on that first expiration date. What do you think of Tony's uh, amendments to your trade, Mike? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hear what he's saying. There's two things I would consider when I'm looking at a at a spread. One is the relationship in the premium that I'm collecting versus the premium that I'm spending. So in in this case, we're collecting dollar sixty, dollar seventy versus laying out about eight bucks. You know, it's easy to start chiseling away until finally you're only going to be collecting, you know, maybe an eighth or a tenth even of uh, what you're spending on that longer dated premium. And that doesn't really give you quite as much of a rationale for doing it. That's the first comment I would, I would make. Um, you know, and the second thing I would make is also when you're looking at the amount of premium you're collecting, look at it in relation to the value of the stock also and the context uh, that you're dealing with. This is a stock that moved 15%. Would I really want to sell an option down to say a buck? Um, you know, maybe not. But I, I think here also we have to consider that it might go higher. It may also go lower. And, you know, choosing that slightly lower strike, you know, round about the implied move is uh, is sort of a way to deal with uh, the fact that there is a bit of a coin toss going into any catalyst like earnings. All right. Up next, we're taking a look back on a prior healthcare trade from a few weeks ago. Don't go anywhere. More options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. A few weeks back, Carter and Mike laid out a way to play United Health for some gains. Check this out. The next is a comparative chart, and this is United Healthcare versus Google and Apple over the last 10 years. It has paced some of the greatest names in the market. I was looking at the June 500, April 520 call diagonal, buying the June 500, selling the April 520s. Net net, that would cost about $19.45 a share, an outlay of a little less than $2,000 in total, or about the value of four shares of stock. Now, there's still some time left on this trade, but UNH has climbed 5% since then. That prompted one of you to ask, 
What happens to the sold call on April 15th that the price of UNH is above $520? Won't it be exercised and be a naked call? So, Mike, how do you manage this one? Okay, so this is a great question. And also, it's a good reminder. If you don't already, be sure to follow all of us on Twitter because we did actually respond uh, to this question. But I thought it brought up some points which are important enough that we ought to discuss them. First things first. If you are in a situation where you are short an option going into expiration and it is through that strike price, so in this case, above the 520 strike of the college, it will be, in fact, assigned. But you won't be naked. Why? Because I own that longer dated call. So I'd be called out of the stock. I'd be short stock, but also long a call. So what I would actually recommend is before expiration, if it's in the money, you want to cover that short call. The other thing you could do is also roll the entire structure up and out if you choose to, and you'd actually be taking some profits on the table. So a couple different ways you can manage that. But ideally, if you have options that are in the money, you probably want to close them on that expiration day. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time for a tweet. Our first fan asks, thoughts on the buy now, pay later space in a higher interest rate environment, assuming the Fed raises rates around four to six more times before the end of the year. Tony, your thoughts here. Yeah, so higher interest rates not only impacts the valuations that you assign to these companies, but also the economics of the business itself. And you have to remember, buy now, pay later, there's nothing proprietary about the products that these that these companies have. And it's really just a customer acquisition battle in what is relatively a low margin business. So I think what you're going to see is a, quite a bit of consolidation over the next few years, similar to what we saw in food delivery over the two years ago. All right, time for the final call. Carter, what do you say? Tony. Pepsi fizzing out, selling a call vertical spread. Mike Co. Three ways to use call spreads. I like what Tony's doing in Pepsi. Also, buying verticals in J&J and diagonals in Micron Technology interns. All right, that does it for us. See you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.